Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. We're looking in detail at the 2020 running back class on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Roto-Viz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Roto-Viz, joined by the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Mr. Matthew Friedman. We are going to be talking about the exciting 2020 running back class tonight, but before we do, Matt, have you talked with a Mr. Jonathan Bales to check in on his uh, physical condition? Uh, I haven't spoken uh, directly with him, but uh, yeah, I've been like on a couple of calls where he was on the call and uh, he's he's still alive. Best that I know. All right. Nice. So if anybody out there is not aware that that is listening, um, I'm not sure how the better rose, but basically within 12 hours, Bales did 2400 pushups, which one has to imagine is pretty grueling. Yeah, I mean, to, to give some background on this uh, draft cheat, uh, Peter Christensen, um, last monday just sent out a kind of random tweet saying uh you know sort of like a thought experiment if you had to do uh or if you could get paid a thousand dollars per push-up how many do you think you could do in 12 hours and uh peter jennings uh optimistically said 3600 uh which uh christensen immediately wanted to bet him on that and then jennings backed that up to 2400 at which point bales jumped in and said uh i think i could do 2400 so then that uh is kind of how it started and then they uh quickly settled you know kind of on uh some of the uh like parameters of the bet and uh what was actually at stake but then of course you know there ended up being a lot of side action uh we're kind of estimating maybe around like a million dollars in side action just like you spread out across you know everyone on earth yeah um so uh yeah that was that was pretty awesome did did you uh did you bet on that at all i did not bet on it i actually i wanted to just find somebody that like i know and like occasionally talk to on twitter to bet against but like um i was not finding too many people that wanted to take like the under that i knew um since i mean i don't know too much and i like i've never spoken to him but from what i have read and i have seen he seems like the type of person that wasn't gonna lose so I wanted yeah. to go with the over. Yeah, I was I was on the over there and um like I wrote a a pretty quick blurb on just sort of like who is Jonathan Bales and yeah, he's he's the type of person who just doesn't lose stuff like that. Like yeah. he's a physical freak. Um but on top of that, uh he's also something of a sandbagger which I don't think he would ever admit that, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that's entirely true. Uh, and then he also just hates to lose. So, uh, you know, I like, and I believe him that he had actually never tried to do like that many pushups or kind of like to see how many he could do within like yep. a two hour period or anything like that. Um, but he's just like such a physical freak that, uh, you know, like you knew that if anyone was to have a real shot at doing it, it was going to be Bales. So yeah, I don't know one person who works at action network who bet, <laughs> who bet against Bales, <laughs> which uh, I think is pretty telling. 
Yeah, that is. Well, you know what? The craziest part of the whole thing is I did not have any money on this, yet I was still checking in on the live video feed every once in a while because it was that interesting. And it makes me feel like there's definitely some type of television show that could be centered on things like this. Oh, yeah. I imagine we will. uh, I'm hoping at least that we will see more things like this uh, throughout the coronavirus quarantine. Yeah, yeah, definitely good for that. All right. Well, anyways, as I said, we are going to be talking about the 2020 running back class today. Um, Where I wanted to start with this, Matt, was Jonathan Taylor, I think by all accounts, is just a supremely impressive prospect. When you consider him in comparison to a prospect like Saquon Barkley, do you think that he sniffs that Barkley territory talking strictly as a prospect? What we know about this player pre-NFL draft, do you think that Taylor gets into that conversation? Now, I'm going to frame this by pointing out first that these are both backs extremely, extremely productive at Big Ten schools playing against solid competition. Both players, as I said, In the 120 on speed scores, extremely, extremely productive, over 5,000 total yards at school, both going over 45 touchdowns, playing three seasons. Does Taylor get in a conversation with a guy like Barkley? Uh, No, Uh, I don't think it's even close. And I I hate to say that because like I... I do have respect both for Taylor and his production and his uh, athleticism. And then also for the people, uh, you know, in the like kind of draftnik or prospect community who are really enthusiastic about Taylor. But, uh, you know, Saquon is just a different level of uh, a player, like both in terms, I think, of his uh, physicality. Like, I think he's probably a little bit more of a physical freak than Jonathan Taylor is. Uh, And then also just in terms of his ability as a player, specifically his pass catching ability, like just look at what uh, Jonathan Taylor did in his best season, Uh, 26 receptions for 252 yards. Like, that's pretty good. But that's a huge step up from where he was as a sophomore or a freshman. That's pretty much like in the neighborhood of what Barkley did his freshman year. And then his junior year, his final season, he was one of the best receiving backs in all of college football with 54 receptions for 632 yards. Like they're just not even in the same plane in terms of what they can do on a three down basis. And then you add on top of that. You know, Barkley was a five star recruit. I believe Jonathan Taylor was a three or four star recruit. Barkley went, was it like in the top five? You know, he was the number two pick overall. Uh, Jonathan Taylor might get in the first round. You know, like it's, you know, I'd say it's kind of 50 50 whether he gets in the first round or not. I mean, I, I don't think they're really even particularly close. The one thing is Jonathan Taylor might be like actually a better runner than Saquon is, but. I, I don't think that really matters. I, I think like the degree to which he's better than Saquon as uh, as a runner doesn't come close to the degree to which Saquon is better as a receiver. OK, so I think the, the way to frame where you're going with that is that essentially. Barkley has a skill that is extremely rare to find in the fact that he's so talented as a receiver and is very good as a runner as well, where even if Taylor is a superior runner, he's not so transcendent as a runner that it makes up for the fact that he does not have the receiving aspect of his game like Barkley does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the difference between guys, like the difference in running skill between running backs is basically like the difference between, I don't know, like mediocre french fries and good french fries or yep. mediocre pizza and good pizza like it it's all kind of the same 
Okay, yeah, that's fair. Although I think some people might push back on the the pizza um, analogy there, but but we'll move past that. You know, the other interesting thing that I think there is about these two players is they're like the exact same age at their seasons in college. They were both eighteen point nine at the end of their freshman season, nineteen point nine at the end of the sophomore, twenty point nine at the end of their junior season when they entered in the draft. Now you talked about Barkley going number two, which is important because it shows that there's a franchise that really wants to try and build around that player. Of course, the Giants did then go out and get another young player in Daniel Jones. Um, From what you've been reading, what do you think the best case scenario for Taylor is in the draft? Do you think we could see him get into the top 10 as a top 10 overall pick? No, no, <laughs> no, not even close. And by the way, we should also mention Barkley had two kick return touchdowns in his junior season. Like that's just kind of like the sign that they, that, that they would even think about using him as a kick returner uh, shows how awesome he was. And the fact that he actually housed two of them uh, is, is really impressive. Taylor, uh, maybe he breaks into the twenties. You know, maybe he goes, you know, like there's some thought that maybe the dolphins could take a running back, uh, you know, in the twenties, you know, maybe the, um, the chiefs could take a running back at number 32, something like that. But I don't, I don't think he gets anywhere above 20. Yep. All right. The final thoughts, um, well, actually, I, I, I guess we should close up with this. Now, I'm going to quickly read out in case anybody's not aware of uh, Taylor's stats on his career. Uh, also, 2,000 rushing yards is both a sophomore and a junior. Finishes with 5,806 rushing yards for receiving yards. He was at 407 on the career. So that's a total of 6,213 total yards, 53 total touchdowns. Clearly, this is one of those things factoring into questions such as the one that I just posed being raised. So on a scale from 1 to 10, assuming that Saquon is a 10 out of 10 prospect, where does Taylor fall into that scale? Mm, I mean, I'd say like an 8. Okay, maybe. I was going to yep. I was going to say I think that he at least has to get to an 8, maybe an 8.5. I can understand the pushback on the receiving. But so we're looking uh, at him yeah, as a player that we're expecting good things from. I'm expecting very good yeah, things. Yeah, I mean from there's him. a lot to be enthusiastic about. Like he's a, a 21-year-old rookie who has good size, great athleticism and, you know, strong production in college. Like th- what's not to like about him really? You know, it's just that he's not Saquon Barkley. That's that's it. He's still yep. a really promising prospect who should go, you know, no later than number three in rookie drafts. And even that feels like it's it's late. OK. All right. So we're going to pick up on that thought. I'm a little relieved to at least hear that from you. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty there, let's take a quick moment to hear about our sponsor bet online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports events and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Again, that's BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So the last time that we actually talked about rankings, Matt, you 
had DeAndre Swift as the top back in the class. I'm going to be honest with you. When I've been going through my rankings, I've had times that, you know, he could fall down to like four or five for me. Has Swift fallen all or is he still holding strong in your number one spot? Uh, no, I still I still like him. Um, you know, I think it's kind of worth remembering that, uh, you know, like a few years ago, Christian McCaffrey was widely available as like the anywhere from like number three to number five player in that draft class. Um, I think that is sort of where Swift is. Uh, he's going to be 21 years old uh, as a rookie. Uh, he's not big, but he's big enough at 212 pounds Has you know, 4.48 40 time was a five star recruit and uh, is I think if he's not the best receiving back in the class, he's definitely, you know, top three uh, in terms of his ability. Like that's the one thing everyone has to kind of admit that like Swift is a really good pass catching back. And so you put all that together and like, I just kind of don't know how he's, how he's not at least a, a top three uh, rookie pick in, in fantasy drafts. I think that, some of this might stem from if you try to put him into a model it's hard to get it to factor in the receiving value that much and then also on a receptions per game basis swift is only at 1.7 which don't get me wrong that's strong but there's other backs even in this class that go above that such as you know eno benjamin eno benjamin was at like 2.4 clyde edward Hilaire got up to a 2.2 so i think these are some of the factors kind of depressing the value i end up with him slated in at my third spot i have taylor ahead of him i have jk dobbins ahead of him but i think that it goes back to an underweighting of that receiving value factoring into his evaluation, given what we saw from him in college. I think we should also probably mention, you know, Swift was playing at Georgia with a lot of other backs, very talented, not to say that, you know, there aren't going to be other backs talented at Wisconsin, Ohio state, but you know, Swift did have that factoring into his career. So perhaps that's taking up some of those numbers that we could see. Um, how yeah here's a good question actually um how and i should say like i haven't formally incorporated uh recruit rankings yep into any models i've done but i've kind of started to do it informally um because like i just i haven't done the full work of like back testing uh, how predictive it is but like anecdotally i think it's pretty predictive um and I think it's something that that is correlated with draft position and correlated with production and correlated with a lot of other things, but that like people really aren't accounting for. Um, I don't know. Like, do you have general thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. So I have read some things that definitely do point to there certainly being a relationship between the stars that you leave high school with how well you're or how strongly you're recruited by those top level schools, how you perform in college, and then ultimately how you perform in the NFL. There are things we can do, you know, more commonly than not, a five-star is going to be stronger than a three-star. I haven't done any real detailed analysis of that myself. There is a lot of evidence, though, certainly pointing to teams that recruit those five-star players do a hell of a lot better than teams that are getting those three-star players. Um, So I definitely think that should factor in. Um, But I think it would be hard to bake that into a model because in some cases it is really player-specific. 
it is, you know, the other thing though, what we're talking about, like, you know, kind of, I guess, intangible things here are things that are really hard to assign a value. Dude, the Georgia running backs that we've seen as of late, I mean, it's hard to not want to give him a little bit of a bonus for that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like they, they have had a, uh, like a history of being able to recruit, uh, you know, good players. Um, now, some of that like extends beyond uh, Kirby Smart, who's been the, the head coach there right. since 2016. But uh, yeah, I mean, in general, I would just say, you know, like SEC running backs who are, you know, really productive. Those are guys that I tend to want. Um, and we've seen like, yeah, a strong history of those guys, uh, you know, even before uh, Todd Gurley. But certainly even if we just start with Todd Gurley, you know, Gurley, Chubb, Michelle, and then, you know, now we see with DeAndre Swift. Um, I mean, I think there's like a strong history there. Yeah. So here's the one question I do want to throw to you, though. Why are you so certain that Swift is such a great receiver? When we can compare him, and perhaps you think that J.K. Dobbins is an excellent receiver as well, but J.K. Dobbins actually recorded 71 receptions, comes out to that 1.7 number on receptions per game, actually had 22 as a freshman, 26 as a sophomore, 23 as a junior. Am I wrong? And maybe you are considering them similarly. You just happen to like uh, Swift a little bit more. No, I mean, Swift is, uh, I still think it's fair to say that Swift is the the better receiving, uh, the better receiving back. So like I'd say, let's take out their freshman seasons because, um, Swift wasn't really like a, a workhorse back his freshman year, but even then, like he was kind of the pass catching back for that team, or that was the role he had in limited usage. He still had 17 receptions, but if you look at just what he did in his, uh, sophomore and junior season, I think he has a little bit more of an edge over Dobbins, but then also, uh, you know, Georgia didn't throw it to the, uh, to their backs as much. Uh, and so like, I think it's just that he has kind of like a stronger market share in terms of the usage that he did get, um, relative to Dobbins. But then also this is, this is not like as clean, but, um, I don't know, like part of it is that like, if you read scouts and it's hard to know how to incorporate this, but like, I think scouts, like they know better what they're looking at than I know what I'm looking at. And uh, I think there's still a way to like use what they say, even if you can't quantify it. But like every scout talks about how Swift is so smooth uh, and how like he's he's good running routes out of the backfield. He's good if you line him up in the slot. He runs a variety of routes Um, like that's just they talk about specifically how good he is in the passing game. And that's just not something that gets brought up with a lot of other backs. Yeah. And like, maybe that's a little bit of a, like a blind spot with them, but like the people who are like professionally paid to look at these guys, they all sort of have a consensus of Swift is really good at catching the ball. Okay. Um, I'll accept that. So here, here's a question. Well, we are in a conversation where Dobbins is coming up. Does the fact that we don't know his 40 time, really impact him in your evaluation right now or how are you kind of considering that uh no uh it doesn't bother me at all because we do know that he is verified awesome uh in terms of his athleticism uh and we we know that pretty much the only reason why we know that is because when he was a uh a recruit entering college um he was the number one athlete at the uh the nike opening um, where he just absolutely tore it up. 
as as an athlete had 99th percentile uh size adjusted speed so at like 201 pounds had a 4.45 second 40 time there and like that's an electronic 40 time yep. uh he had like a 43 inch a little bit over a 43 inch vertical had uh, a 4.09 second 20 yard shuttle uh so like 99th percentile athleticism in all three of those so like we know the guy is an athletic freak so i'm not worried at all about uh any athleticism that he has now three years after that yeah to me this this isn't figure or filling in that much i mean even if he falls short of what we're kind of expecting um you know it's nothing that's going to throw him out um you know i still expect he'd be over that like 100 speed score threshold type of thing we saw him just perform so well at ohio state it does not bother me um okay so you said taylor might be like an eight out of ten for you Mm -hmm. is dobbins does dobbins get to the eight because i think he's a pretty strong prospect yeah, I mean, I don't. I th- I think the difference between Taylor and Dobbins uh, is that Taylor's a little bit bigger, um, and that he's a year younger. So that's like those two things actually are pretty significant. But in terms of their production, I you know I think they're fairly comparable. Even though uh, Taylor, you know, he has much more voluminous production. You know, yep. like going over two thousand scrimmage yards each year. That's super impressive. But you know, in his final season at Ohio State, Dobbins did the same. Dobbins was much more consistent as a receiver in each season. Um, like I don't see that big of a difference in in ability between Taylor and Dobbins. But you know, you I think you have to give the edge to Taylor because he's yep. younger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. So here's a question now. Now that we're kind of rounding out the I would say the top tier. Of yeah. this class. Um, DeAndre Swift versus Miles Sanders. I think as prospects, you have to like the Swift profile more. Um, but let's look beyond that. Right now, if I give you the option in a dynasty league to have Miles Sanders on the Eagles progressing from what we saw last year, or DeAndre Swift in this unknown situation, very talented player. You like both phases of the game for him. Who do you choose? That's tough because I actually do like Miles Sanders quite a bit. Sanders was 21 years old as a rookie, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sanders was a five-star recruit. You know, honestly, I think I maybe like Sanders a smidgen more than Swift entering the uh, the league. Um, I think he was, for me, a top three, uh, top three pick. Yep. Uh, I can't remember who I had ranked ahead of him last year. I I had in kill Harry ranked ahead of him. And then who was the other? Did you have big... David Montgomery? No, Montgomery. No, okay, I God. had ranked lower. Uh, so than I had, people. I had, I had Henderson pretty high as well, but I don't think that you did. So would it have been AJ Brown? Maybe. No, it's, it was another running back. Who was, who was like the clear number one running back last year? Oh, Josh Jacobs. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Right, I had Jacobs right. number one, uh, in kill Harry number two, Sanders number three, but Got it. if Sanders were in this class, I think I'd have him number one. Um, yep. I just, cause I think he actually is still very good as a receiving back. Yeah, he is. And I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a similar thing, you know, uh player supremely talented, had to share the field, obviously with Saquon Barkley. So that limits some of the overall production that you would see when he did get the chance to, to shine. You know, he was phenomenal. Um, I think that Sanders is awesome. Uh, very well-rounded athletic profile. And then, of course, that rookie season, you know, um, 
he didn't have a spot where he got in, you know, maybe like week four and, you know, crushed things from there on out. But if you look at his rookie season, you place it into context, you look at historical uh, finishes so of other people. <laughs> yeah. I he mean, had such he a good rookie it. season. Yeah. Over 1,300 yards from scrimmage and only 11 starts. Uh, super efficient on a per touch basis. Like, he was really good. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you're somebody that did get Sanders, you are really excited about his prospects. So, I could understand taking Sanders over Swift. So, that's not necessarily an indictment of what you feel about Swift, but it does give us some perspective. Yeah, exactly. Like, I would, I would have Swift as like an eight or an eight and a half. Okay. All right. Um, so I didn't want to spend or I wanted to try to mix in some of those lower level players. But actually, the next guy that I want to talk about is A.J. Dillon. And then after we get through Dillon, I think we'll hit the rest of the players next week. So I think what we've talked about before here is that Dillon, you know, the closest comp from what you would get, I think, watching. And if you look at the numbers is Derrick Henry. Not going to be a player that we expect to be supremely involved as a receiver. You know, maybe you could use him somewhat. Um, but, you know, really just a big bruising back. Weighs 247. Played his college ball at Boston College. 1.14 touchdowns per game. 5.1 yards per carry. Um, you know, there are definitely some things that you can point to. And I think a lot of people are really excited on his prospect, given the season that we just saw from Derrick Henry. How tempered should drafters be? be um on dylan and maybe getting overexcited because of what we saw henry do very recently yeah i think a lot of it just depends on where he lands and you know sort of how that translates into the opportunity he's likely to get but um i'm pretty enthusiastic about him you know i think he should be a, a first rounder in in rookie drafts Okay. Yeah. So that's actually um, pretty high. And then I'm assuming that you do think it's fair to say that he kind of falls into the second tier of the 2020 backs. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, I think Cam Akers uh, yep. is kind of like in a half tier by himself under the top three, but before any of the other backs. Okay. Um, that's perfectly fair. Uh, you know, just a little more information here for people. One thing that does look very good, 1,589 yards on 300 attempts as a freshman. Of course he was 19.6 at the end of his freshman season. So that is an older freshman, uh, 14 rushing touchdowns finishes with 38 touchdowns on the career running back dominator of 0.39, which is pretty strong. The reception total though, only 21. Um, so as we're talking about some of it being the landing spot, do you have a team in mind that if he went to, you think really shoots his value forward? Uh, not really. Um, I, it's more, it's more draft position dependent. Um, okay. So you want to see where he gets valued more so than the team that he's on. Yeah, I think that's right. Because so much, you know, even with running backs who look like they're buried on the depth chart, so much can change at the running back position pretty quickly that I think I'm going to pay more attention to the draft capital invested into him instead of like how many carries I think he's going to get in year one. Although like I will care a little bit about that, but I I try not to focus too much on that because I just I my sense is that no one can project that really well, at least like uh, in May. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, the interesting thing about Dylan, I think, 
or, or maybe the most interesting thing is, so in the rookie scouting index that we do, which is where we're gathering information, I'm sure we talked about this a number of times from different sources and or, or sources that are, you know, scouting film watching based. Uh, so it's not incorporating the metrics. AJ Dillon actually ranks at 11, which definitely feels way too low, but it is really interesting to see him fall that far down in the scouting reports. Yeah, I mean that's that's too low. Um it's way too low. Yeah. That's I think it's unrealistically low. But um yeah, I mean it it's hard to say uh I mean because I don't know exactly the sources where you're pulling that stuff from, but yeah. I don't know how much they update. But um I don't know. Like I, I think that's really low. This is I think not actually all that great of a class for running backs outside of the top five, top yep. six maybe. So um yeah, I really I don't see the excuse for having uh having him rank that lowly. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then I mean the other thing, well, so the, the the top three in the RSI goes Swift, Dobbins, Taylor. I think it's a problem that Taylor isn't number one, but you disagree. So, you know, maybe I can't have too many more gripes beyond that. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, though, does come in at four, Cam Akers at five, Zach Moss at six. Um so let's try to hit one more name before we get out of this. Zach Moss, they have him pretty high. When you look at him holistically, you include the metrics and the athletic profile. And I should mention, you know, he's one of the older backs. Maybe you think even the oldest back in this class. Do you like Zach Moss at all? I don't know. I mean, so much just kind of depends on um, a guy's ability to get playing time, but I don't think he should be drafted any higher than the third round. And even that seems kind of high. So like, what are we talking about? Like we're talking about a, a fourth rounder who doesn't have great athleticism from Utah. Like I, I just, I don't know. Like <laughs> I don't know really why he's someone we would be focusing on, you know, like yep. I, I think he's, he's unlikely to have a lot of NFL success. Like it could happen, but uh, I don't, I just, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. To me, he's one of those that falls out of my, my list of players that I really care about. I think I currently have him around 10 in my um, running back rankings that I'm planning on trying to get out this week. But yeah, he kind of falls into like a don't care type of category for me. Um, Next week though, there are some more interesting names we want to talk about or not next week, uh, later this week. So there's Cam Akers, as Matt mentioned, pretty interesting. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who we mentioned. I also have a player that I really like that has not been getting that much talk. Darrington Evans, a back out of Appalachian State, is a bit of a um, divisive player. So we're going to talk about them later in the week. That's going to do it for this episode. Um, as always, thank you for listening to the show. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. 